Oh, it's me, Percy. I hope you are having fun listening to the Right on Track podcast. Now, excuse me, mail coming through. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world and welcome to episode 66 of the Right on Track podcast. My name is Connor Jonas and I'll be one of the voices you'll be hearing today. Over on the reviews, the two Toms, Parry and Denim, will be tackling series 8. Then Denim will be showing the Thirlmere Railway Museum on Loco Nation. Then Lachlan Kyle will be reviewing Thomas's two faithful coaches, Annie and Clarabelle. First up is the reviews that are starting off with a bang with Parry and Denim. Yes, it is time for the reviews of the television series with Parry, myself, and Denim. Hello. 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 It's great to be here. This is my uh, first inaugurating of the Series 8 reviews, so it's great to be here, as always. Oh, it's fantastic to have you back. We we haven't had the Tom Squared combination in quite a while, have we? It's been a while. I remember back in our sin radio heyday uh we did quite a few artsman and shows together and we coined the phrase tom square uh then and then so it's uh, great to bring it back indeed it is so you've got two toms for the price of one that being none at all because this is a free podcast after all <laughs> but um right shall we jump right into it denim what two stories are we reviewing today absolutely parry so in episode 66 of the Ride on Track podcast. We're going to be reviewing Thomas and the Fireworks Display and Gordon Takes Charge. And of course, we'll start with Thomas and the Fireworks Display with Thomas, of course, and Gordon at Knapford Station. James is broken down, he said. You must collect him, Thomas, and bring him back or the Fireworks Display will be cancelled. Oh, no cried Thomas. Then all the children will be sad. And he set off to collect James. Yes, all the children will be sad. No fireworks. Oh no, Denim. But Thomas and the Fireworks Display is an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine in Series 8 of the show. Um, and, And in the story, by its essence, it's introduced to us that The Fat Controller is putting on a massive fireworks display for the Harvest Festival and everybody is excited for it and uh, it's a big event and James is given the job to deliver the aforementioned fireworks themselves but on his way breaks down. That's it? Yeah. Uh, But of course as well as that we get a secondary conflict involving Thomas because of course he really 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 wanted to take the fireworks and we see him shunting trucks angrily in the yard and then afterwards he just comes to Knapford Station as if all is well and that's when Sir Topham as we heard in the clip told him about James he goes to find James makes fun of James and then helps James to deliver the fireworks on time but there's a hitch denim there is, there is indeed. Uh, okay. <laughs> what is that? I, I shall show you then. The hitch is that 
Gordon is heading home with the children because Sir Topham Hatt believes that it's past their bedtime, or, or it's I don't know, it's almost the children's bedtime. He says, and therefore because Thomas and James aren't here, they're going to have to miss the fireworks. I mean, surely you know children are flexible, right? They're not like machines; they don't have to go to bed at a certain time, right? Oh, but they've got school tomorrow, Parry. <laughs> oh. Well, why have you got fireworks on a school night? This episode is a perfect example of, and I know this has been discussed in the past, where the line between the the fact controller's authority of what exactly he's in charge of um, is very blurred and it's very much uh, set in jelly. We don't know, like, why he's in charge of this uh, fireworks display. Perhaps he's a charitable man and he funds the fireworks display. It's, like, sponsored by the Northwestern Railway. But there's no clear definition of that. It appears that Topham is in charge of everything and anything to do with the island of Sothor, not just the Northwestern Railway. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think one of my sheer gripes with this episode, um, it doesn't take away from it being a good episode, but... One of the things I loathe hearing, and I think the Unlucky Tug mentioned this in his recent uh, Season 3 review, um, how Thomas can be so whiny from time to time. And it's in the instance where um, Thomas um, is with James in Tidmouth Sheds when the Fat Controller offers James the job, and he just sounds so pathetic when he goes, but I wanted to take the fireworks this year it's just kind of like come on man like (laughs) it's laughable how uh silly he sounds when like he almost gets every other job that's a quote-unquote special special Mm, yeah and he's done a complete 180 again because of course in percy's new whistle he was the sensible one he was sort of the brotherly figure the percy and now here he's gone back to being the whiny younger sibling yeah, it's really interesting kind of broadly looking at Series 8 as a whole because you can tell they've they've done this soft reboot. They've really drawn back how many characters are in the story so they can really focus on their core cast again. But I think the most confused character of all is Thomas because they want to give him that heroism when he kind of gives guidance to other engines like James and Percy. But then when there's a story centred around him, he kind of comes off as narcissistic and has this kind of bittersweet approach to everything that he does hmm and on that point as well even though this is called thomas and the fireworks it spends an equal amount of time if not more time with james right shouldn't it be thomas james and the fireworks display no it's too long of a title no that's well how about thomas james and the fireworks that works out no it's still it's still too complicated how about Thomas James Fireworks, exclamation mark? I, I think that would gravitate attention, surely. Okay, <laughs> surely. <laughs> there, there's the compromise. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, so let's continue summarising the episode. With Gordon leaving the station, Thomas and James are stuck at a red signal, and then Thomas has the bright idea, a very clever idea, if I do say so myself, to set off a firework, and that way they can warn Gordon and warn Sir Topham Hatton, tell everybody else that they are on the way. And Thomas's driver does very carefully light a firework, stands very far back, lets it off into the sky, and Sir Topham sees it and goes, a sparkling dragon! 
Which, which I think is a type of firework. I'm not sure. I, I would assume so. Either that or he's making some kind of exclamation. It's like sparkling dragons. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if our good friend Connor Jonas were here, he'd be able to tell us. He does all the research. I just Goog- he, he, does, he I, does. I just googled sparkling dragon, and all that came up was um, actually I won't say what came up. But anyway. <laughs> um, Anywho. Yes, anywho. One of the things I I love about this sequence on a longer note is the atmosphere around Napford Station uh, with the fat controller deciding whether the children should stay or not and um, when they see the fireworks for the first time. There's something about the lighting and the use of steam that they did really well here. Hmm, absolutely. Uh, I I also like how they've characterized gordon even though he doesn't speak you know he's he's looking pretty content at the station and then when the fact controller informs thomas about james going missing he's got this kind of concerned look in his face as he does when they're about to leave the station and then when the firework goes off he's got this somewhat astonished look on his face so yeah it's amazing how much the characters can do without like speaking but they show their emotions and i think that's a that's a great example of that. Well, one thing I um I, I think is worth noting as well, the last time we saw any kind of fireworks in a Thomas episode was in Scaredy Entrance back in Series 6. And mm. I think we can really tell here that there's definitely been a step up in the production because the fireworks look a lot more, by and large, like fireworks. Mm, that's true. They don't look like these colours superimposed onto a green screen or anything like that. Yeah, and I think it's one of the few examples where the CGI elements that they do add at this point in the era does work, I think, to its strength. I don't like how in later episodes we see things like autumn leaves or snow or rain kind of superimposed in, but I think for the fireworks it does work. Yeah, okay. Yes, it works for the fireworks. If anything else, no, definitely not. Yeah. I want I... real snow. I want it now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And coming back to your point on Scaredy Engines, there is that definite vibe at the very end of the story when you've got Thomas and James parked outside the sheds watching the fireworks display. That has shades of that conclusion all over it. It's almost it very on the nose. Like, if you were to see Scaredy Engines and if you were to see this episode, you would think that they're kind of making a very deliberate nod to that episode and it's almost like a... A reflection of the, the way you could look at it is that scaredy engines at that conclusion is a reflection of the friendship that thomas and percy have whereas the conclusion of this episode it's the cementing of thomas's and james friendship mm, you could say that with that said though i never felt at any point that their relationship was strained i mean thomas obviously calls james a busted boiler when he collects him on the line but we see at the beginning of the story james he's being boastful right he says i'm red as a rocket and twice as grand and that's james on any day as well (laughs) Uh, exactly i mean he doesn't actually say to thomas you know i'm superior to you or you know you're a pouty puffer or anything like that so there's almost no reason for that conflict to be in there. You know, they can, they're trying to put one forward. They, they want a conflict between Thomas and James to be there, but they don't entirely bring it to fruition, I feel. That's right, that's right. It's, um, 
It's interesting to say the least that I guess the the way that they interact in this episode and future episodes to come, um, this isn't the last time we see a Thomas and James rivalry in this year of the show, uh, but it's interesting whenever they decide to play that card. Uh, given that we've covered the narrative there, uh, well, technical things, the episode does start with B-roll from Series 5. Yeah, odd choice because it feels so out of place. It does. I'm glad you raised this point because you've got the Series 5 aesthetics where they shot on film at 24 frames per second and you see as well Thomas has got, you know, his dirty, beaten Annie and Clarabelle he's pulling along behind him. And then it morphs across to the modern digital uh, photography and 50 frames per second frame rate and yeah, it just doesn't gel, right? It's like they've just plucked random footage out of their archive and gone, all right, this will do. Let's just put That's it there. That's right. And this isn't the first time that they've used this specific shot for an opening shot. I believe it was also in Not So Hasty Puddings, if my memory serves correct. So it just kind of feels mm-hmm. like a bit of a joke at this point. It does. Yep. <laughs> I've got nothing more yeah. to add to that. It... So, so it's like, remember when the show was good? Oh, we're bringing it back to the present. <laughs> Uh, and on that note I think we should move on to scores Denim what are you going to give Thomas and the fireworks display Ah, look there were fireworks it's it's a pretty looking episode four no I agree four I, I, I feel it's it's nice in a way as a story but I don't think that it develops the conflict all that well the bit it has with Thomas angrily shunting trucks in the yard and then there being no payoff to that. I think that's disappointing. And as I said before, the use of the firework to draw attention to themselves is quite ingenious. So, yeah. But again, at the end of the day, it's still a Series 8 story and it it just doesn't appeal to me what they're doing. So <laughs> You're going mm. to hear a lot of this to come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've said it in every episode that I've done the episode reviews of so far, and it's probably just going to continue. So I'll, I'll never get used this to it. This is true. <laughs> and, I, and I think it, it's an interesting point because this is the Thomas that I think was happening as we were either A, starting to get out of it, or we weren't engaged with it anymore. And I think we will always kind of have that nostalgia factor anything from series one to six or seven because that's what we were raised on. And I think... For anybody, and I think this is important to note for people who grew up with the hit era as well, they're going to look at these stories with the high regard that we look at series two or three, if that makes sense. Mm. That's an interesting point you raised though, Denim, because if we were to find someone who grew up with this era of Thomas, the series eight to 11, and then... Showed them series one. To I thought you were about to say something else. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I feel that I, what I really want is to speak with someone who was raised on this era that we're currently in, and then ask them when you went back to see the original David Mitten era stories, did you appreciate them more or less, or did you find that the hit entertainment stories were of a lesser caliber when you compared them to something like that? So. Yeah, hit us up on socials and let us know. On that note, it's it's quite interesting. My half-brother was raised in the era 
where CGI was kind of already taking steam. That was happening, and that was the current form of Thomas. Um, and he came to the more traditional early stuff a bit later. And I remember going over to my parents' house one day, and he said, Oh, yeah, by the way, I think Series 4 is my favourite season. I just went, Yes! I've done the right thing. He's got thing. good taste. <laughs> Your brother? Yeah. He does. He does. Uh, yeah, yes, we should move on now to the next story, which is Denim. Gordon takes charge. Not Duck takes charge. Nay, Gordon takes charge. And in the clip that you're about to hear, Percy and Gordon are buffering up to their coaches and Gordon, being the big blue engine he is, demonstrates to Percy how one should buffer up to their coaches. Gordon went with Percy to the depot. But when Percy backed up to collect his carriages, he bumped them very hard. No, 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 you need to puff smoothly. Gordon huffed impatiently. Watch me, you'll soon learn how to pull passengers. Gordon backed smoothly up to his carriages and buffered up to them very gently. Very smooth, the yard manager said. Best buffering I've ever seen. Gordon was so proud he thought his boiler would burst. Maybe teaching Percy will be fun, Gordon said to himself. Then he'll see I'm the biggest and the best. Yes, Gordon is a smooth operator. The smoothest I've ever seen. (laughs) I can hear saxophones playing in the background. Anyhow... uh, (laughs) Kettle's Whisper, is that you? (laughs) Uh, So, Gordon takes charge. It's not really so much a unionist allegory as it is Gordon teaching somebody. In this case, he's teaching Percy how to pull coaches. And I'm getting whiplash here and a sense of deja vu because wasn't this the same conflict that we saw in Henry and the Wishing Tree? Essentially. Mm. So, but Percy, oh, I'm not used to pulling coaches or shunting them, but Gordon is, so therefore he should be the one to teach Percy how to do it, and not Thomas, who has Annie and Clarabelle, and not Emily, who also has coaches, or James, who pulls coaches, or etc., etc. You get the idea. It's, yeah, kind of strange how Sir Topham Hatt arrives at the conclusion that Gordon is the one who is best served to teach Percy how to pull coaches. Harry, you don't understand. This episode is different because it has snow. (laughs) Uh, I I guess so. You know, again, we love our winter episodes here. The one one credit I will give is that this episode looks better than Not-So-Hasty Puddings. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will pay that. You've got the blue sky in the background and then you've got the nighttime shots as well. You know, it's not a dull, dreary, grey sky laden day. There is one scene where Percy rolls underneath a bridge and you can definitely tell that it's Baldy's bridge. Yes. The, the one he got stuck under because it's got the, the wood holding it together. I have a headcanon theory. that, Uh-oh. Uh, and And this, this is better because it either places... Um, it, it, it's just another day on the set or places Tatmire into canon because um, either... Harvey raised his crane underneath that bridge and broke it in the process, or Diesel 10 
raise his claw and broke it in the process. Oh, please stop trying to make Thomas and the Magic Railroad canon. I mean, come on. <laughs> I would defend Surely it to the hill. this ship has sailed by now. It, it will never sail. We're coming up to calling a winter. It's still relevant. <laughs> oh, we are too. I, I keep forgetting it that's is. a thing. Um, I, oh, confession. I've never seen it before. Oh, wow. This is going to be really interesting. Yeah, so once we hit the end of se- Season 8 of Right on Track and get chatting about that one, uh, yeah, mm, should be interesting. Yeah, it's... um. I don't think I've seen it for maybe over 12 years, so it's been a hot minute since I've seen it as well. Okay. Well, 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 it's been a long time since you've seen it, whereas it's been forever, as in never, that I've seen it. So, yeah. There's a teaser for the end of Season 8 for you. What if I told you that Calling All Engines was Thomas and the Magic Railroad 2 because it's got Teasel 10 and Lady in it? Would you believe me? Well... Diesel 10 is on the cover of the DVD releases, so I would sort of believe you. It's canon! Anywho, Gordon takes charge. Um, So, Gordon is showing Percy how to pull coaches properly, um, and his pomposity gets the better of him. Um, He's going around the island, he shows off to James and he shows off to Toby, and it's not until he gets to Kelsworp Station, the new... I guess, uh, flagship station of Series 8, where he meets Thomas. And he goes so fast that he goes off into a siding and falls into a giant snowdrift. Yes, um, sad trombone noises, all that kind of thing. There's a lot of trombones in in this season. I think with the Robert Hartshorn score, like, it, it just sounds like a lot of bugles. It sounds like... The tuba play from Thomas Percy and the tuba decide to stick around. Yes, and I'm very glad that they did decide to make use of the brass score, but they don't utilise it effectively enough, I feel. It, they never... And I was saying this back when Connor and I were reviewing Thomas and the tuba player, whatever the story was called. I can't remember all this stuff. Um, but yeah, they had the perfect opportunity there to do a sad trombone or a sad tuba, and they never did. Yeah. It, it's not like yeah. the music is held in copyright or anything like that. It's just... He uses trombones and trumpets everywhere else. It's just that one bit you could have used it. It would have been so much better. Absolutely. Uh, uh, well, yeah. there's, there's something about... Looking at this episode, there's something about the snow that they've upgraded since last season. And I don't like it for some reason. Like, it, it, it looks more flaky than soft... Yeah, it does. It does, actually. We we see, particularly in the scene where Gordon wishes away the snow to so that his face can breathe, that we see what looks like feathers almost, really tiny feathers that he's blowing away. Or, or maybe soap. Yeah, that it almost looks like flakes or icicles or... Yeah, I was thinking maybe soap that I'd put through a parmesan grater or something like that. I, I Like, it's a creative choice, sure, but it's not Thomas Terrence in the snow, so... Meh. <laughs> now I just want to watch series one. But it, 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 it is nice seeing um, one of the creative things that David Mitten and his team did um, when making every episode of Thomas, when they had a character who was not the focus of the story. And I think Steve Asquith probably took this leaf out of David Mitten's book. He always has them facing away from the camera. And you can see in the sequence where Edward pulls Gordon out of the snowdrift that he too is facing away. And that, that's a, a, a nice little 
uh, detail that I noticed on the second watch of this episode. Mm, it, it's a bit of a strange choice, though, I feel, like having Edward facing away. I mean, it's good that they've name-dropped Edward and found a use for him in the story, but at the same time, you know, we want more Edward. The other credit I will give is that the final scene with Percy and Gordon at Kelsorp Station, which is, I, I think, a great station. It, it does look nice. It has that kind of uh, 60s, 70s vibe of, like, a British rail uh, metropolitan station. Agreed, yes. And I'm very glad you identified it as Kells Fort because I was watching the story and thinking to myself, where is this station? Is it Wellsworth or is it... But then you said Kells Fort and I said, oh, of course, it's the station that they were helping to build yeah, way yeah, back yeah. when. Yeah, that, that, that last sequence with Percy and Gordon with the night time does look quite nice. I think if, if I can give this season any credit is that their lighting is spot on and I think it only gets better. Mm. The, the, the lighting is excellent. I mean, but then again, you know, it's a really hard thing to mess up, right? Like if, if you can't get the lighting right, you're pretty much stuffed as a director. Oh, you'd be surprised. If, would I? No. Okay. Um, oh, one thing I did want to mention about that final, well, penultimate scene with Percy and Gordon at Kelsforp as they leave and head off into the night. If you listen very carefully to the soundtrack, it kind of sounds like the Raiders theme from the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, yeah, I get what you mean. Okay, yep, so you hear it as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's ever so dissonant. Mm, it's But I, I thought, because this story, I should confess, I should make clear... I only saw it for the first time just prior to Denim and I sitting down to review it. I'd never seen it before, and I just saw it just then, and as soon as I heard that music going, hold on a minute. If, if I were John Williams, I'd be suing them, quite frankly. I'd be suing Hit Entertainment and suing Mattel <laughs> for copyright infringement. Well, it, it, it's one of those things where it's so far removed that it could be that, and maybe... Robert Hodgson was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll allude to that and make a little reference here. But yeah, it's finicky. <laughs> and, and the one other thing I'd like to point out too is that Sir Topham's posse, those two attendants he's got standing with him, still look ridiculous. I mean, he, he's speaking to Gordon and one of them's facing towards the left and the other's facing towards the right. And it's just, what are you doing, men? Come on. I, I, they always must... Uh face either side just in case uh as someone or somebody uh comes towards the fat controller with angry threats so they're there to kind of keep an eye out so they're the security detail just without the earpieces and the sunglasses and the black suits and all the rest of it that's right we had we they didn't have any of those uh contraptions then i i think we've covered as much as we've covered with this episode. Although it is nice seeing Percy pull coaches again. It's a rare sight. And oh, just, on, oh, Harry, hold on, just on that point, um, I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Dan. I'm, 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 I've been constantly rude in this little episode. but No, that's okay. In the original Reverend Audrey stories, Percy doesn't actually pull coaches. Am I right in thinking that? He's just a freight and shunting engine on Thomas's branch line. That's correct, yeah. Or, or there, there is that one time in Percy's Promise where he does pull Annie and Clarabelle. That is true, yes. But Percy is not a dedicated passenger train engine. Yeah, yeah. So you see, my thinking is that all of the 
initially it doesn't apply so much anymore but when the fat controllers railway was a working railway all the passenger engines were blue all the freight engines were green and all the mixed traffic engines were red that's my my way of looking at it mm. that that's a very clever thought um it's also worth noting that percy is, oh but, but hold on that that doesn't explain uh henry who does pull coaches and the express on occasion and then he was blue at one point he was blue at one point that's true but then boko sometimes helps out with coaches bear pulls the express that's that's true i i, I think as the series goes on I think it becomes lesser of a necessity, but I guess when it first starts off, that's the the, the rule that you can kind of play if you want to. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a fair comment. Um, oh, also, as well as that, Percy's top speed is only 30 miles an hour, which, which is 62 kilometers per hour in metric. So if he were to pull coaches, it would be a very, very slow ride for them. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least it's uh, enjoyable. Yeah, well, yeah, it would be. It would be a novelty being pulled by Percy. But then again, when you've got Thomas who can reach 70 miles per hour, Duck who can reach 45 miles per hour, you know. Toby. Well, Toby actually reaches the same top speed as Percy, if memory serves correctly. I, th- I think we've, we've covered as much as we can cover with this adventure. Now, well, now we have, yes. So let's move on to the scores. 4.5. So you think this is better than Thomas and the Fireworks display? I would say so. I think this has more kind of happening uh, story-wise and visual-wise. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, 0.5 of the score better than the previous episode. Okay, whereas I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm giving this one a 3 out of 10. Interesting. Again, it's that juvenility to the story. Like It feels like the character's... Gordon especially are one dimensional. It's like, oh, look at me. I'm well. Well, he starts off essentially as, oh, I'm an old grump. I don't want to teach Percy how to do things. And then he's like, oh, yes, I can teach Percy how to do things. I'm really good at this. And then it naturally reaches its conclusion where Gordon learns not to be so high and mighty, which I guess is a nice touch because that's what the Reverend tried to impose throughout. These twenty-six books that he wrote. It does. You know, it, it does it, feel like this could be self-inserted into somewhere, maybe after Troublesome Engines, that kind of era. Well, well, it was, and, and we will get to that when I reveal my favourite railway series book later on. On right mm, on track. More to come, indeed. That, that's two teasers. We've thrown out two teasers for future episodes in the space of, what, 10, 15 minutes? Oh, we love treating our listeners, that's why. That we do. So, that's it, I guess. Well, Denham, thank you very much for joining me. It's good to have you back doing the reviews of the TV series. My pleasure, Harry. It's always a hoot doing these with you, and, uh, yeah, always love chatting about Thomas. So, happy to come around anytime. Excellent. And now it's time to hear from our good friend, Mike O'Donnell. Hi, I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. 
These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Parry and Denima, for taking charge for the reviews there. I personally love how an episode has finally explored a Gordon-Percy dynamic. And I could keep talking about that, but we don't have time, because now it is time for Tom Denham's Loco Nation, a segment where you learn about notable places in the railway world. This week, Denham has wandered into the Australian town of Thulmere, and he's come across an impressive railway museum. G'day, how are you? It's Tom Denham here for another episode of Loco Nation. And today, I've gone somewhere really special. I've woken up extra early, hopped on the train, gone out of Sydney, and about two hours out, in fact, and I'm currently at a little place called Thilmere. It's about maybe a six-minute drive from Talmor Station, out on the country link train. So you have to go to Campbelltown, then change for country train, go to Talmore and you come to this magnificent place. It's the Thilmere or New South Wales Railway Museum and I'm looking in front of me now, there's so much going on and I'm so excited to capture it all for you. One of the best attributes of the New South Wales Railway Museum is that it's operating a fully live working steam railway. It's a 40 minute journey and departs multiple times throughout the day and it runs every day, which is fantastic. We've got a proper real steam engine in the flesh and it's been a while since I've seen a steam train, so definitely a special moment. And I imagine that this would be such a a special moment for uh, people who've never seen a real steam engine before to see it working and to see it in this kind of atmosphere. It's really fantastic. The New South Wales Railway Museum is a museum in several counterparts. The first bit that you walk into is this huge state-of-the-art, modern, very slick artistic building where there's a whole plethora of different kinds of earlier steam trains from the beginning of New South Wales' journey on rail. You can see a lot of live aspects to the museum where you can go inside some of the carriages or hop into some of the cabs to see how the engines really work. And there's some moving parts to some particular elements of this part of the museum where you can see videos of the trains working in action or you can hear audio stories about where these trains would have operated and who would have manned them. So we're off, coming out of Thilmere Station. We're on our way out of the museum area. I'm told it's about a 40-minute journey to Buxton, which is our next stop, and I believe we'll be terminating there and turning back around. So 
I'm just going to enjoy the scenery as we go by and uh, you can hear some fantastic train sounds. The next part of the museum that I went to that's really notable is the Great Train Hall. And this was filled to the brim with all kinds of trains, all static, but it's a really impressive amount of engines and a rolling stock that you see in this building. All kinds, diesels, steam, and it really shows the wide expanse of history of trains that you can find there. I spent a lot of time going in and out of all the trains and carriages, really soaking all of this up. At the very end of the Great Train Hall is the engine roundhouse where all kinds of engines have been worked on in there and it was really cool to see something a little bit reminiscent of tube machettes but in a very Australian setting. The station building is beautifully restored and it looks like what it would have looked like back in the day. Really immaculate attention to detail. There was also a really cool signal box there where viewers could really take the opportunity to really see what's inside the signal box and how it all works with all the levers and points. The key part of the museum is the living aspect and this was the actual train journey that goes from Thilmere Station out to Lonely Part of the Line in the middle of some pretty thick bush. It was really cool to travel on the train and to really soak up all the atmosphere here. We're definitely heading on the way now and we're in deep country and I'm having an absolutely tremendous time. I've got my own private compartment here in the train carriage and I think looking out the train window itself, we're surrounded by trees and grass and cliff edges and paddocks filled with cattle and it's a real reminder how far removed we are from, I guess, any kind of city, if you like. This is one of the modes of transport where I think it really uh, it goes from one place to the next and has the ability to travel far distance. And I think this journey here is an excellent reminder of that. It's beautiful weather, about 20 degrees at the moment, so absolutely fine for this journey. And looking out of the funnel, there's mountains of soot falling out of the funnel. And that's just a, a reminder of like, how old these things are and it's just taken me back it's it's unfathomable the steam train ride was absolutely beautiful it'd been a long time since i've been on an actual steam train so i really soaked up all of the elements here it was really fun to just watch the country go past and being a bit of a silly dweller this was quite cathartic so i really made the most of this opportunity all in all, I think that the New South Wales Railway Museum is a must visit for a steam train or diesel boffin. There's so much to really soak up here and it's really impressive the amount of attention to detail across all elements of the museum have really been put in here. If you're not really into trains and just want to find out more about some of Australia's history, it's a really cool visit as well. It's about a three hour trip out of Sydney. I took a train from Sydney Central to Campbelltown and then a country link from Campbelltown to Thilmere and I found that this was the best way to get there. I really recommend it because I had a really great time and I think it gets my seal of approval. Thank you, Denim, for that instalment of Loco Nation. Time for the musical interlude, where you'll be listening to Men at Works Who Can It Be Now, as covered by Star Tom. 
That was Who Can It Be Now, originally by Men at Work, covered by Star Tom. My name is Connor Jonas, you're listening to the Round Track Podcast, and right now we're going to be visiting the model train corner with Lachlan Kyle, where he has a look at Thomas the Tank Engine's two faithful coaches. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Model Train Corner. I'm Lachlan, once again. Now, you may remember that I said when I was reviewing the Backman Thompson Tank Engine, I would have a look at the Backman Annie Clarabelle I have. And that's what we're going to do today. Annie and Clarabelle are Thomas's two loyal, faithful coaches. They are, I think they're based on LBSC Stradleys. I could be wrong, or just Southern Railway Stradleys or something to that effect. They're painted in an orange colour. And these are based on the TV series model, so they've got the four wheels compared to the Railway series where they had the bogeys, and they were based on something completely different. So they're orange in colour, like bordering on brown almost. They're old and need new paint, but he loves them very much. He calls them Annie and Clarabelle. As stock standard with Backman models, they come with a gloss finish, so I've dull-coated it down with the same sort of matte coat that I gave Thomas as well, and it makes them look a little bit better, plus it seals in any of the painted details, such as the name, the face, anything like that. And speaking of, they do have their faces. The nose sort of protrudes from the face, but like the eyes and the mouth details are just painted on. On each end they, or on one end where the face is, they have two windows which would be like on the end of the train I think, Uh, especially with Clarabelle since she is the brake coach. The the brakeman would sit in that back compartment looking out the back window but on the other end they just have that sort of, I wouldn't say corrugated but like that sort of wood detail. Annie can only take passengers but Clarabelle can take passengers luggage, and the guard. Looking at each side themselves, they've got plenty of windows. There's four compartments on each, so therefore four doors. They've got all the door detail. They've got handrails. They've got the door handles. They've got... I don't really know how to describe it, but they've got, like, decorative details between the compartments and lining the top of the bottom of the windows. They've got white roofs, uh, which has, like, the lighting furniture I guess I I don't know what kind uh, whether they'd be electric or oil lamps Uh, probably electric I'm not sure and it appears that there's two versions of these Annie and Clarabelle's the most recent ones have black running boards whereas I have the grey running board versions which is the older one they have the classic hook loop tension lock couplers which is stock standard for most, if not all, Backman Thomas items. No coupler detail, no hook, uh, but they do have buffers. And that's that's about it for uh, Backman Annie and Clarabelle. But I did make one modification to Clarabelle, uh, and I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I alluded to this when I was reviewing Backman Thomas. So what you can do with Annie and Clarabelle is you can actually take the roofs off them and it comes out with the windows. There we go, I just pulled it out. So what I've done with Clarabelle's, I pulled her apart and I cut out the floor in like a round shape to be able to fit a Bluetooth speaker. 
And what I can do with the Bluetooth speaker is I can fit it in there. I'll turn it on. There we go, turned on. Oh, there we go, connected. Fit it in there, put the roof back on. Now, you can't see this, so I'm just gonna describe what I'm doing. Clicks on. Then I'll get my phone, and then what I'll do play music through it. I think it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> As they run backwards and forwards along the line, Thomas sings them little songs, and Annie and Carabelle sing too. So there you go. Uh, playing music through Backman Clarabel, I think it's pretty good idea. Um, I could also just play train sounds through it or, you know, download a soundboard app on my phone and just like, you know, instead of having to fit a speaker to Thomas or any of my uh, other locomotives, just put that on the back and off you go. So I think that about does it for Backman, Annie and Clarabelle. I'll see you guys soon. Thank you, Lachlan, for reviewing those models of Annie and Clarabelle. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us for another episode of the Right on Track podcast. You've been listening to Right on Track. This podcast was hosted by Connor Jonas, Tom Parry, Lachlan Kyle, M. Taylor, and Tom Denham. The audio producers for this podcast were Jason Evans, Harry Hughes, Ashley DeGroote, and Frederick French Prouts. The supervising producers are Connor Jonas and Tom Parry. The executive producer is Tom Denham. Visit rideontrackpodcast.org for more information plus bonus material and be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, on Twitter at OnTrackThomas and Instagram at Podcast.